TDN listeners, and welcome to this weekend interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. It's Wednesday. It's <laughs> a highlight of my week is to spend an hour with you on this weekend interview. Uh, tonight, I have a very exciting guest because that's what we do on this weekend interview. We bring you conversations with um, very, very interesting, very accomplished individuals. And we get to handle a whole myriad of, of topics. Uh, from social issues to um, professional achievements to uh, politi- politics to health, all of those things. And, and, and the, the kicker is that this week in interview, I, I like to bring contemporary topics to you, but from a different angle, a different twist. Something that you cannot get by just clicking your mouse or your remote or however you, you interact with social media. So welcome. Um, it's, it's been a little while, although last week we had, um, Richie, Richie Farrell and a couple of his collaborators, and, and they're doing some exciting stuff. They, they released a single and now they're working on releasing their video. But tonight, tonight what I have on tap, is uh, uh, I have a conversation. I'm going to have a conversation with a young engineer, long electrical engineer, very accomplished. He's been on this weekend interview before, probably maybe five years ago, and I wanted to bring him back because he was foretelling a few um, of the technological advances that we will expect in the next few years. But this is the next few years, and I want him to bring him back so we could talk about technology and, and opportunities that exist in technology. As I said, his initial degree is in um, electrical engineering, but he's since gone back to school and gotten his accomplishments as well. So let me do what I always do, tell you welcome. If tonight is the first night that you're listening to this week in interview, welcome especially to you. I hope at the end of the hour you agree that this show is worth your while and you become a regular listener. If you join me every Wednesday, you're my regular listener, you 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 create the highlight of my week. And I appreciate your time. I never take it for granted. I know there are so much things that compete for your attention. And I really appreciate you making this week an interview part of your weekly schedule. So let's go do the Caricom Anthem, because if you listen regularly, you know every Wednesday I like to start the show with the Caricom Anthem, um, reminding us that as Caribbean people, we would most likely improve the quality of life in the Caribbean if we tried to do it together, collaboratively, rather than trying to go as individual specs in floating in the Caribbean Sea, as I like to put it. Mikael Henderson sings the Caricom Anthem, let's listen to her, and when I come back, I have a special for you and that you are going to like. So stay tuned. From many distant lands Our forefathers came Some seeking adventure Some bound in change Through battles waged and fought and pain by test of their courage our freedom was gained in homage to those gone before us the heroes of lands in the sun 
to focus on building one Caribbean. Raise your voices high, sing of your Caribbean pride. Sing it loud and strong, feel your hearts beat as one. Celebrate in song as we rise to heights where we You know, there are many choices when it comes to domain registration, web hosting, and dedicated servers. But I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting. They're simply the best. With their 99.9% .9 uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services like SSL certificates, managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today. 480-624-2500. Jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O dot com. All right. Listeners, I, want, I didn't play the entire anthem because, uh, as, I, as I told you, I have a very special guest tonight. My guest tonight is uh, Mr. Bernard Ito, and he is from Dominica, a very accomplished um, engineer, and he, he was on the show with Thompson maybe about five years ago, and um, he, he was telling... Uh, the audience about his work and, and and the things that his work exposes him to very interesting conversations and uh, it, it's keeping in, in what I always say about Dominicans and about Caribbean people uh, to the effect that we excel all over the world except in our country except in our region uh, and and so that's a theme that I, I, I highlight a lot and, and it's a theme that you go into see for yourself as as i have a conversation with very brilliant engineer and, and young man but let me give without much further ado let me give a very warm welcome back to this weekend interview bernard it's a pleasure to have you thank you so much and let me say uh hello uh to your to your listeners as well it's a pleasure to be back and um as you say having these conversations is always a useful like i i feel personally valuable dialogue for us to have as as a people as a, as a region so always my pleasure to be on to, to to be part of the conversation no certainly uh that that's giving of information um technical information to some extent but also uh, i listened to your first interview and you you were able to break down a lot of the technical terms very well so that lay people um can understand and 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 identify with with the things that you're saying, but before we get too deep into the into the interview itself, I I want you to take a few minutes and just um, remind the listeners who heard you before. We've picked up a lot of new followers, a new a lot of new listeners to this week in interview. So let's introduce you to to them. Who is um, Bernardito? Where do you hail from? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> All right, sure. Um, as you said, uh, Bernard Ito, uh, I hail from Roseau. I uh, grew up there. My family is basically from there for several generations. Um, I used to be very involved in uh, youth activities, uh, was president of the National Youth Council at some point, involved in various activities. What I find interesting, though, is as the years go by, less and less people uh, obviously uh, remember 
uh, those days. So it's a bit nostalgic. But um, I, I um, you know, was always involved, interested in science and technology from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, went through to St. Mary's Academy, uh, worked uh, in Dominica for a few years, actually doing um, some reporting as well as working at the, at the bank for it shortly. But as is a sort of a rite of passage, it becomes a time when you have to go on to greener pastures. And um, I pursued that, uh, got a scholarship to Texas to study engineering and um, actually environmental science as well. Um, got an undergraduate degree in environmental science and uh, manufacturing engineering. Uh, worked worked a, a year or so in the uh, aircraft industry and decided to pursue, to pivot at the time, right around the uh, turn of the century, 2000, to pivot to uh, uh, semiconductors, uh, integrated circuits, which was really uh, the rave. It's really the brains that drive the digital age. Pivoted to that, pursued a master's degree in that over a couple of years um, uh, at uh, Texas Tech uh, in, in um, West Texas. And then... Uh, uh, joined uh, Texas Instruments, which is one of the leading um, integrated circuit manufacturers in the world, and uh, basically have worked as a semiconductor microchip engineer at the, the company since then in various roles, uh, studied as test, and uh, right now I, I do pro- project management and I'm, I'm a program manager for new product developments um, for the company. Um, lead a team that does that, and with a sort of a focus in medical technology as well as energy systems, smart energy systems, and so on. And um, have been involved in that uh, industry, like I said, um, helping to to push the frontier forward uh, in my role. So, um, so let, let's take a little pause there because you talk, you you have some technical stuff in there. You probably need to break down for for us a little bit uh, when you sure. talk about um, semiconductors, integrated circuits. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Let listeners know, for example, where in their everyday life, everyday gadgets, they um, they interact with some of these um, things that you work with. Sure. So I like to say that almost everyone in the world has interacted with some of uh, the technologies from my company at some level. We are not the uh, the guys who make the external equipment like Apple or Samsung, which people, you know, the brand name that people will recognize. But all those devices are driven by what is called the integrated circuit. Consider it the, the brains of the uh, of the, uh, the the digital technology. So it really is the, uh, the that drives the functions of cell phones. Uh, uh, smart cars, self-driving cars, uh, smart televisions, uh, game consoles, um, like I said, medical devices, um, anything practically electronic equipment you can imagine that you may possess would have a, a myriad of microchips embedded within them that provides the, the functionality that you, that you use. So um, that's what we're involved in, is making the brains of the digital age, essentially. Right. So, 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 what you produce really, are, like, if anybody have seen inside of an old phone or inside of a computer, you see basically these boards with, with all of these um, yeah, the little uh, black so, silverish, things, the little black, silver black little mm-hmm. things that look like little, uh, you know, little squares. Right, and little lines and and so on, and that is yeah. what controls all the electricity that flows through that, and the weights for con- controls the commands and and tells it what. What to do? Yes, it translates um, your voice into, uh, you know, something that the machine can understand, which is 
zeros and ones, digi digital signals, and that is really what those microchips do. They convert the real world into an electronic digital world that uh, the machines can understand and do the tasks for us. Right, and for example, the telephone, that, that is what would get transmitted. And when it gets to the other end, uh, another set of, I guess, circuits takes yes. that zeros and ones and converts it back to voice. Back to the real world, yes. So you can, you can hear what is being said. So, so, so essentially you, you're involved in, in, in the advancement, in the, in the creation of technology, right? As you say, on the leading edge of that. I, yeah, I, 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 that's the role that uh, the companies like I'm involved in that we're playing. And um, it's, it's, it's an exciting journey and it's an interesting journey to see where things are going and to, to help shift that. So it's been a very gratifying career so far. The, you know, this, is in, this, is, this is very exciting, very interesting. And I want to reflect on that a little bit uh, because as a young person growing up in Dominica, right, or in any one of the other Caribbean islands, where we're mostly rural. I mean, even even when we say we're in the city, we're in Roseau or we're in um, St. George's Grenada or Kingston, um, St. Vincent, um, compared to a metro area in the U.S. or in Europe, um, it's almost all rural, pretty much. And and, and in terms of the, the opportunities, um, our interaction with technologies, and so on. I, I want you to take a little time and reflect on, on that type of, of background and, and the journey of going from that to where you, right now, where you are, which is on the leading edge, basically globally. Um, wherever, whatever the technology is globally, you, you, your function sort of involved in the development of the microchips and the chips and the semiconductors. That, that make all of this technology possible. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to get that because for two reasons. For one, uh, we do have young, young listeners who are, are just starting their careers. Um, and two, we have leaders, we have, um, parents, we have, you know, adults who need to understand the, those possibilities. And maybe, maybe in, in their mind, try to see how we can also have some of those industries develop in the Caribbean. So that if we don't have to export the brain to do it, we can use the brain right there uh, as, you know, that, that, I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more. Sure, sure. I understand perfectly. And you explained it well. Um, and, and that is, I think, the long term, should be the long term ambition and should be the long term vision of our um, society, right? I mean, it's obvious, I think we know it, we have experienced it, we've seen it, we've seen Dominicans excel in almost any field imaginable around the world, uh, risen to top end positions. Um, we know we have people with the, the necessary brains, the necessary skills, uh, the talents, the, the intelligence, um, the drive, the passion, the work ethic. We come from a culture that, 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 that strives for excellence and, 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 and hard work. To get ahead and to, to, to make a life. We have those, we have those in spades, I think. And what we don't have, I believe, is the enabling environment on the island itself that allows, uh, that sort of talent and sort of drive to, to manifest, to be made productive on island. But as soon as you remove this, the, the disabling environment and you put Dominicans in an enabling environment and you let loose 
that drive that, that skill, that capability, then they, uh, then they excel. It's actually a very interesting sociological uh, experiment to understand just how, how much one's uh, social environment changes the possibilities and, and the, the, the productivity that you can have as an individual. And so I think that's the key, the key question is how can we as leaders, as, as Dominicans, uh, change the enabling social environment to allow, in fact, these industries, this type of, of work to be done uh, there? Because increasingly, it's a global digital world and you do not need to be physically located um, in, let's say, I'm located in Dallas to do that type of work. I could work just as well from uh, from sitting on the beach in uh, Maryland. Um, but the, the 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 social environment, the economic environment, the economic climate to get the right uh, pieces in place to allow that is what is the, the stumbling block. Yeah, and <laughs> so so let's get back to 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 your your work, your function. Uh, in our conversation earlier, you also told me that you you've gone back to school even after getting your master's degree in um, semiconductor work and smart energy systems. Um, you went back in and you're currently working on, on getting your doctoral um, degree. So tell us a little bit more about that academic journey as well. Yes, so um, I made a decision sort of, uh, several years into my career that really my ultimate objective is to do something meaningful for my region. I mean, that has always been part of my part of my DNA, it's part of my uh, philosophy in life is to utilize my talents as best as possible in the, uh, in the service of my people. And in order to do that, of course, um, the technical world, you need that technical expertise, but you also, I figured into it, need a broader vision, a broader, what does it take to develop true development in, 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 in developing regions? And so I wanted to understand the dynamics, the academics behind that, the, the technical aspects of that. And so I decided to pursue a, a PhD, not in, in engineering per se, but in uh, economic development itself. You know, what at a broader level, how can you engineer a society? I'm used, at en used to engineering products and gadgets, but I was now interested in what does it take to engineer an effective social system, an effective economic system, uh, an effective political uh, system, uh, and, and approach it with this engineering mindset of, of good design, but understanding then at a broader level what does it take to design this sort of socio-technical system. So yes, I have completed uh, uh, my, 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 all the work related to a PhD in that. I have uh, defended my, uh, my, my proposals and all of that, and now I'm simply waiting to publish some results and then, uh, then, then, then that will be wrapped up. But that is really my, my, uh, my passion is really in, in, in now, you know, how do you use my training, my learning in innovation, in creativity, in, in, in project management, in engineering design, how do you use that is, a, is an interesting question to me, both academically and professionally. How, do you, how does one then use that knowledge and skill set to, to help design a better um, community? Very interesting. Uh, I, I, I like the way you, you, you put it, where you said, okay, initially, you learn engineering with with gadgets and we've had you know um instruments and equipment and that sort of thing and and, and as you process you progress through your career you you turn your look now and say okay there's a society that 
that may not be functioning the way in an optimal manner? How can I use my engineering background to sort of help to change that? Uh, and, and so you, you, you look at economics and, and social conditions and that sort of thing. So which one is easier? <laughs> is it, is it, is it easier to design the world's most sophisticated, um, equipment or is it easier to, to help steer society towards where, um, it should be? Very interesting question. Very good question. Um, I'll put it this way. Engineering problems are typically what I'll call convergent problems, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Whereas the designs that we need to do in society are, are divergent. So in a convergent problem, there is a solution. There is a definite optimal solution. You can analyze the problem, you can break it down, you can look at the different aspects, bring in different expertise, and align on, on a solution that converges to a solution. The problem with um, social designs or socio-technical systems is they're really very divergent systems. No one can really agree um, on what that optimal solution should be, because there's a lot of politics, a lot of self-interest, a lot of uh, a lot of in invested interest in existing uh, processes and social setups, existing advantages. Someone loses, someone wins. So there is no convergent solution solution that we can agree upon to then go solve with intelligence and design and engineering. And that makes it a very difficult problem to solve. But it's not insoluble, but it takes people that have the expertise in working, developing what I call cognitive gadgets. How do you design ways that people can think about themselves, conceive themselves and the possibilities for themselves, learn to cooperate and work together, to, and, and, and leaders that can give vision and, and objectives and, and strategies that people can buy into. Learning to work together to build that social machine that can produce. It's designing a machine that can produce, but it's not designing machinery. It's designing how we cooperate, how we work together, how we think about ourselves, the vision that we share, the passion that we have in what we're doing. And that's the sort of uh, design that is a very difficult thing to achieve, but is what is most needed, especially in developing countries. So, so I'm hearing you, and and that's interesting because so what you're saying is that from a social economic point of view, it's almost like engineering, but but you have to design a system, and and design I guess the components within that system, and then try to see how you can bring those components together. And, and get them to work. I yes. I listened to a program some time ago, and somebody was talking about ants and how, how ants behave in, a, in an ant colony. And, and and they were saying that what you when we look at an ant colony, we think we see like streamlined movement and and all of that. But what when you study it closer, what you see is a controlled kind of chaos, where because um, Many ants are doing something. Eventually, they end up like heading towards a common goal, whether it's somebody found a source of food. So, how many of them go get that and drag it back to the nest and that sort of thing? And 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 so I'm listening to you and I'm thinking um, that is kind of what what has to be done. Except the difference between ants and human beings that human beings are cognitive and therefore they think independently. 
and it's a little more difficult to corral them <laughs> and get them to go in one direction or, or in a desired direction. So um, in terms of your studies and stuff like that, when you look at the Caribbean, uh, I mean, we cannot really accuse our people all the time of, of, of electing unqualified people because there's a number of islands that have had um, leaders who have their PhD or, or their law degrees, they've been to school and that sort of thing. So, so what do you think have been missing from the region? Why we've not been able to get economic and social traction in the region to get the kind of development and that we, that, that, that I think is possible. Um, culture is a very, very powerful force and a very stabilizing and self-reinforcing loop. Um, it forces one to think in certain ways. It forces one to treat each other in certain ways, almost at an unconscious level. Mm. And so what we have is a, consider the software of the system. Mm -hmm. The culture is the software of the system and the software that runs the the programs in our minds back in the Caribbean is not geared to, to the sort of society that we desire. It's not geared to productivity. It's not geared to cooperation. Really, it is a, it is a culture that came out of a period of adversity, right? Slavery, uh, trauma, uh, yeah, yeah. Trauma, yes. Mm -hmm. Colonization, uh, survival. It is so, so, so the cognitive gadgets that we have, the, the social, the social software that we have is really not it needs repair. It needs rewriting. It needs recording. We need we need a different operating system. Wow! And so that is the key that is uh, underlying. That is powerful. That 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 right there is powerful. You went directly to culture. Mm -hmm. So 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 our culture, which we in one sense, so so is a is a dichotomy because in one sense we we love our culture and we want to preserve our culture. But on the other hand, that culture is keeping us in the same place. Yes, we have to figure out a way, because I love my culture. I love being Dominican, I love being Caribbean, I love our Creoleness, I love every, everything about, about us, our mm -hmm. ability to relax and have a good time. Um, I love all those elements, but there are elements. We have to look at the thing, again, like an engineering problem, and see which components are failing us, which components are not working correctly, why do we not uh, have a certain level of customer service orientation that goes back to the days of uh, not wanting to work for the man sort of orientation? What is it that, uh, why can we not cooperate better, you know, from trust and division back uh, in, on, the, on the plantation? We have to look back at those areas of trauma that, has, that, that continue to propagate through the generations and try to repair that. And to be a little more direct to your question, what can we do about it? I think the, the, one of the solutions is gaining critical mass. You need a critical mass of people who are thinking differently, who are operating differently, who bring a different mindset to the, to the table. And if those people can progressively expand the circle of influence and progressively get others to think along the similar lines, then you will have a cultural shift that will be self-sustaining. And so, and, and how do you get that new culture? If you look at it, it's really people who have left um, the islands, who have been exposed to a different way of working, who have been reprogrammed in a sense of how to operate and view the world, and to bring back those best ideas and a new way of approaching life back to the islands. A more open, a more collaborative, a more innovative way of uh, 
thinking about, about the, the physical and the social world. And that's really where um, I see the possibilities lie. Very, very interesting. Um, so, do, so, so, so you think that maybe it, it, in a moment of consciousness, um, there may be modifications that could be made to the curriculum that would, that could help move that along? Oh, absolutely. I mean, really, if the, the leaders in the Caribbean really need to be thinking about a certain level of social engineering. I don't mean that in terms of social control or mind control or anything that's so, so, uh, so pessimistic or so, uh, draconian. But really in terms of thinking about from a very early age, how do we structure problem solving? How do we structure, uh, life skills? How do we structure team building, team working? Uh, how do we structure uh, authority, you know, do we, do we re-emphasize to all the students and, uh, the young people in Dominica that, um, you know, they're subservient to, 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 to adults or they, uh, they are to be spoken to and not spoken back and all sort of these sort of uh, things that, um, roll down really from slavery days. Again, this command and control culture. Um, we have to rethink that because people do not collaborate, innovate or be creative under those conditions. You want a certain level of, of, of give and take. You want a certain level of collaboration. You want a certain level of lack of hierarchy, as it were. If you look at the high-tech world, no one goes by Mr. This and Mr. That. There is very little hierarchy. Uh, everyone works in collaborative teams. That's the set of cultural environment that is needed. But we are very hierarchical and very status-based society. Um, and, you know, that, 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 as long as that remains, we're going to have a difficult time innovating and creating an innovating our way out of our current dilemma. That's one of the, one, one of the most pernicious things that keeps us back. It's, it's interesting that you say that because that brings me back to mind where um, like the more progressive schools um, rather than have a traditional classroom setting where the teachers are the front and everybody is in rows um, from right. front to back, um, the, a lot of modern classrooms are organized in, in, in circular tables. And the kids sit around the table and collaborate on a project or whatever the lesson is to collaborate on the lesson. Uh, and I think by and large in Dominica, we still have the old model of, of classroom arrangements where somebody's up front and you have layers of, of, of students um, going from front to back. So, so maybe just little simple physical things like that can, can reap tremendous benefit if I'm, uh, if I'm, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly. Absolutely, absolutely. These simple physical changes, the simple um, change of the teacher as the only one with something to share, to teach, uh, changing from doing uh, very structured homework sets to doing more project-based, um, real-life application uh, homework sets, uh, from doing entering the digital age and interacting with students at the levels of, of the gadgets that they use day in and day out. Doing this sort of thing that shows that we are willing to rethink. I mean, I don't understand why we're still structured and our, our curriculum is still structured to, to, to be 19th century, uh, clerical stuff for the British Empire. I mean, if you look at what we teach, how we approach teaching, we are simply doing what the British taught us to do to train us to a certain level to, uh, be clerical stuff in the empire. And that's what we still do. We don't teach the, 
data science, we don't teach statistics, we don't teach uh, this sort of cutting edge application development. We're doing really things that have really no real value. At the end of five years of, a, of kids live high school with no real skill sets that apply to the real world. And it's a shame. It's a real shame. We have five years to do something progressive, powerful, life-changing, and we don't. Decade after decade, no government, no leadership focuses on what do we need to do to pr produce a better, capable Dominican. And, 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 and I'm listening to you, and I'm putting it in the context of where most of the islands in the Caribbean now have universal high school education. So the problem is even more exacerbated by that because before the kids that did not go to high school went to learn a trade, become a carpenter, a farmer, um, what have you. And, right. and most of those cases were instances where they were self-employed or, or would go look for work with a tradesman and, and as an apprentice. Uh, and, and so they would get to that, what you're describing sooner. But now that everybody goes to high school, they, they're kept in that structured setting, um, for longer. So, so, so it may be that universal high school, and like everything else, if it, if it's not done in a proper context, good intentions may not have the desired results. And, and maybe that's why we have not seen, um, with the, with the increased access to secondary education. We mean, we, it doesn't look like we're seeing a, a commensurate, um, progress of the societies. Agreed, agreed. I mean, we have increased access, but increased access to what? Right. That's the key question. Right. You know, we, we need, if we're going to increase access, we need to increase access to a good product, to a product that's competitive, a product that allows us to create, to be entrepreneurial. And that is what we, um, we fail to do. Yeah, interesting. When, when, I, when I, I went back to Dominica after attending college in 19... Um, 1990 and around 1993 i i started teaching at the technical college and um the the the, the development of the kid of, of the students who had who had finished five years of high school i was astonished at at how much they still had to develop and i think i think this conversation is really interesting because it's shedding a lot of light um on that, because uh, I, I was extremely surprised at the level of, the, both academically, but in terms of maturity as well. I, I mean, I was teaching the engineering program, and these are these are these are young people who had graduated high school and was a technical college studying engineering program, and and an hour before it was break time, they would be looking outside and they would see the vendors with snack and want to leave class to go buy snack, you know that kind of thing. Right. That kind of attitude to when you would think by that age, um, if they really wanted to be engineers, you would expect a different posture from them. Um, and that, that always puzzled me, but, but you're right. Um, it's just, is the level of socialization and kind of socialization. So, 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 right. so, so what, I, I mean, I, I hear you propose that maybe the change has to come from outside, uh, outside in the sense like those of us who, who have migrated maybe the ones to to produce that spark um I, I i'm also getting the feeling that that is something that you thought about to some extent um any any ideas in terms of how we would go about you know being able to collaborate because i think there may be a lot of people who like you uh, are dying to be able to contribute 
Good, good question. So let me start by saying this. I believe Dominica is too small as a nation to be confined by the traditional definition of what a nation tra traditionally is defined to be, right? Mm -hmm. Traditionally, we think of a nation as defined by ge ge geographic constraints, particularly geographic location. And we think of the Dominican nation as being in Dominica at 61 degrees and 15 degrees latitude, right? But I believe we have to rethink the concept of Dominica. Dominica needs to be a seamless nation that's a networked nation. That wherever a Dominican resides, that is where Dominica is. And so Dominica is not simply the, the, the 60,000 odd people on island, but Dominicans who've been born, bred, and shared a, 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 who share a consciousness of Dominica wherever they may reside in the world. And that needs to be a new Dominica. And that Dominican can collaborate to make that particular geographic headquarters uh, much more prosperous than it is today. There is, as I said earlier, little reason why I can't remain where I am geographically with the, you know, the, the appropriate number of visits and do amazing things for the island. Uh, it's a knowledge economy now. And if someone needs something designed and re revamped and, and looked at, um, there is no reason I can't sit at my desk here in Frisco, Texas, and design it and uh, have the appropriate level of productivity appear on island. So rethinking how we think about Dominica is the first key. The second key is uh, simply uh, a lot we, we need to change the enabling environment that allows people like me and uh, many others like you and all, all the other expats who want to do something. There is an inherent uh, barrier to that where uh, obstacles are placed in the way and uh, for, for self-preservation reasons. So these two things, I think, redefining what Dominica is so that we have a network nation that can work seamlessly from anywhere. and. Working with those on islands create an enabling environment, I think, would take us forward. Right. Let me take a quick pause with the listeners. Maybe some people joined us late. Or, they, you know, my guest tonight on this week in interview is Mr. Bernard Ito. Uh, Bernard is originally from Dominica. Uh, he studied engineering and his master's in semiconductors and smart energy systems. And he's currently at the tail end of a, of a doctoral program where I, he studied, um, did you tell us what you studied, economics? and yes. uh, economic, economic development with a focus in innovation and, and social change. Economic development with innovation and social change. Sounds like a, an exact recipe for what Dominica and, and the Caribbean and the Caribbean requires. So let's get back a little bit technical, Bernard. Um, I, I want to talk about energy systems because uh, I, I believe that uh, although we hear a lot of people speak about the Caribbean islands as being small and with lack of resources, I think that when we, we look at energy, it might actually be an area where we have a relative advantage um, with different sources of energy that surrounds us. And, and in the area where you work, um, with semiconductors and with smart energy systems, it makes it easier to be able to exploit and extract those the energy from those sources. So I, I want to spend a little time, go back technical a little bit. 
um, and, and, and talk about opportunities that you see for small islands like Dominica and St. Vincent and Grenada and even Trinidad that's full of um, oil and, and all the different um, fossil energies, um, natural gas. Um, but but uh, uh, maybe a focus on renewables. Um, let's talk a little bit about those opportunities that, that surround us as Caribbean people. Yes, actually, it's the great tragedy. <laughs> it's a great tragedy that uh, these islands were probably one of the best placed uh, locations in the world to exploit renew renewables. It's so heavily dependent on imported fuel and, and, and fossil energy. At, at extraordinary prices too. In fact, the, 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 the amount that a Dominican pays for energy costs, either through fuel, you know, and, and, and electricity and all the other um, forms of energy usage, is a large percentage. I, I would wager to, 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 to guess about a third of the, the disposable income of a Dominican is spent on, on simple energy, um, energy expenditures. And we're not even talking about things like having central air or, or heating or any of those uh, energy guzzlers. We're talking about simple things as lighting, basic refrigeration, and uh, driving a few miles. And it is really a real tragedy just how much energy costs on the island in locations that are blessed with abundant wind sources because the, the, the trade winds blow constantly across the islands, as we well know, with the constant hurricanes that we get, is a consequence of that. But all year round, we have this steady trade winds, perfect environment for uh, wind energy. We have, obviously, three, six, five days practically of sunlight, which is perfect for solar energy. In addition to that, Dominica has very rugged coastlines, which again is perfect for wind action energy and uh, those different systems that we have, tidal energy and so, so forth. In addition to that, Dominica is blessed with abundant terrain for hydroelectrics, uh, not only major hydropower station, but microhydro, which is the ability to generate small amounts of energy through uh, small streams and rivers and that, those sort mm -hmm, of things. Mm -hmm. And so from every angle, Dominica is probably one of the best positioned nations in the world to go green. And wouldn't it be something if we could say we are the first nation on the planet to go 100% green and truly do it? People tend to overlook the, the benefits of being small. The benefits of being small is you can do things at a national level and claim to be the first nation in the world at many things. And we have that potential in spades. And the technology that's out there is getting better every year, cheaper every year, Renewables are now competitive with fossil fuels and any other services, this old world duty technologies. And yet, we hear rhetoric about it. We hear rhetoric about resilience. We hear rhetoric about uh, geothermal. But really, there is no comprehensive, and I've tried to find it. I've had been on an island, had conversation, tried to talk to the technical folks and try to understand what is the comprehensive energy strategic plan for the island. There is none. And um, it's just a real failure, I think, of leadership. And I'm not being politically in any sense with that statement. I mean, a failure of technical leadership, a failure of social leadership, a failure of technical imagination um, to, uh, or to, to, to find the right people, to put in the right places to develop policy and to execute it. And um, it's really sad. I mean, as I said, um, Dominica should be easily 
the first green nation in the world. And, and I mean, in, in, in your list of energy sources, I mean, you didn't list everything. You didn't list geothermal, and you didn't talk about um, wave energy or, or ocean. Um, you know, the Atlantic Ocean is pounded in our shores day and night, 24 hours a day. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, we have, we have um, a boiling lake. We have fumaroles. We have rivers that are flowing and bubbling as they're flowing. Um, yeah. It, 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 it really, you know, begs for, for, for a strategy and a plan to be able to harness some of those energies. But, but just to bring it, break it down even a little further, I, I want you to maybe pick one of them, whether it is micro hydro or, or a mix of them or solar wind and, and, and how would we deploy it? I, I mean, for example, almost all of Dominica has, has, very good drinking water and that was done because in almost every little community you have its own little water system with a small tank and an intake and some purification um we 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 didn't try to by and large we didn't try to do one central big water system and distribute it too far and wide um would something similar how, how would we go about deploying that type of energy system um in, in, in Dominica, if you were to pick, let's say, I don't know what, I'll let you pick, or mix of them, hydro, solar, whatever. Sure. Well, you hit the nail on the head, actually, because that is the sort of uh, strategy that is necessary. You have to have a decentralized, in order to make this work, you need to have a decentralized energy system. And it's, 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 it's a, again, it's a real failure of imagination how dumb, like, simply fails to get on the, the bandwagon of what's been done in modern uh, electricity uh, circles now. I mean, they're, they're quite behind in the approach. But let's here's a simple example. I'll keep it. I try to keep it simple. Let's say let's pick the car reserve for example. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just pick a model for this and try to develop a model uh, energy system. Okay. So we pick this system. We analyze it. We know that we have different loads at different times. We know that we have different sustainable energy sources that have different cycles. Um, some will be relevant during the, the night, some will be relevant during the day, some will be relevant during different seasons of the year, and so forth. What you need to do is to develop a comprehensive strategy and evaluate the, the power needs of that community, analyze the data, um, on, on, again, we don't collect very much data, collect the data, analyze the data, understand where the peak demands are, understand the flows throughout a year, and then come up with a system that match, a generation system that matches those cycles. So, for example, obviously during the day, you could use solar energy um, to power your daily lighting needs and so on, low energy load, load needs. Um, during the evenings, of course, we have microhydro running, okay, which will come on and complement that power source as, it, as the, the, the sunlight dies down. Uh, right along the coastline, we could have a, a series of uh, a wave action hydro, hydro jack energies that can generate power from the, as you said, the constant pounding of the waves on the ocean front. That's deployed in many areas. Scotland has those uh, wave uh, generators in place. Uh, and further, you could even have uh, energy generated simply by the up and down motion of the, uh, of the ocean as you deploy uh, buoys out in the, on the uh, some distance and, and have that cable in on land. Uh, then, of course, we have wind energy, which is intermittent, but when it does perform, it produces quite a bit of energy. 
that can be stored through microhydro systems. You simply have the energy from the wind system as, it, as you produce too much of it, pump water back up and store it in a storage location that will then run down, connect uh, through kinetic uh, potential energy, run down in the evenings, and, and, and that is a, a cheap energy storage system. Um, you could also have energy systems with, uh, which are producing hydrogen gas, uh, energy systems which are helping uh, algae to grow that can then be converted into biofuels and, and utilized in around the village for fuels that have, you know, need, need the sort of solid type fuels. Mm. Uh, in order to do that, though, you need a lot of smarts, you need a lot of smart technology to, to match those systems. You can have problems if they produce a different voltage fluctuations, if they're not correctly matched to the demand and so on. But again, that's software, that's engineering, that's design, where you fit all that stuff into, you know, uh, a well-designed software system that can analyze the lines and make those trade-offs automatically and, and optimize the supply to the village at the least cost. If we could put that together, this is not a very expensive capital investment, and I, it would dramatically reduce the, the per unit cost to that village uh, at least at least 70%. So I see no inherent technical um, limitations that would prevent such a thing. Why you would think that at this juncture in time, we would have had some sort of pilot program from the government, from some leadership that says, let us come up with a conference, build a model village and test the concept off and uh, expand it as we learn and as we develop the expertise and, and the personnel that can run this, the systems. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, you, you sit and you explain it and it sounds really simple. Um, of course, it, 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 implementation always has, has challenges, but not insurmountable challenges. And, and, and just think of the amount of employment that something like Absolutely. that would generate. Technicians to do installation, construction, maintenance. I mean, <laughs> we, we would, we would turn our island into, into a high tech island. And, and those are clean industries that doesn't produce a lot of waste and therefore we could res we could preserve the nature island um you know reputation of of yes. of, of, our, of our country uh, what will, what so will it can, take you can brand the island what they don't realize is once you start doing this and you start branding the island as eco-friendly as green as the first island making push to do so um you get so much free publicity so much exposure in the media. You brand yourself, you get extra tourist visits. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a spillover effect. And that's the sort of uh, innovative, creative uh, development spaces that we need to create. Wow. So, so <laughs> Bernard, I, we could talk about this all night, um, but we're approaching the, the, the end of the show. Um, so I'm going to, you know, Give you the next few minutes. I don't know if there are any particular topics that or, or concerns that we that we did not cover. Um, but let's 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 close with um, whatever it is that you think we may want to repeat or or, new, or whatever we didn't get to 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 mention. Sure. Well, I, I guess I could close with talking a little bit more about you know the right now. There's a lot to talk about building a resilient. A resilient island, um, a resilient dumb maker. There's a lot of rhetoric around that. But what does a resilient island look like? 
Does it mean an island with better uh, roofing? Does it mean an island with uh, roads that will not erode as quickly? Yes, to some extent it does mean that. But if that's how we think about it, and my fear is that's how we are thinking about it, then we will not become a resilient society. We may build a few resilient structures, but as a society, we will not be a resilient society. What a resilient society should look like is a society that understands how to get its people to cooperate, to work more productively, to deal with adversity, and to innovate out of adversity and into prosperity. That is true resilience. That is the resilience to have adverse things happen and to bounce back and in fact prosper. A good example of a resilient society is the Japanese society. After the Second World War, Japan was destroyed. In fact, they're the only nation who had a, a nuclear weapon dropped upon them. They were devastated. Every, almost every physical infrastructure was, was destroyed. They were conquered, they were colonized by, by, the, by the Americans. Yet, less than 20 years after that, Japan was on the back of the path of being one of the most powerful nations in the world, and within 50 years, it was the second largest and most dominant economy in the world. That is what true resilient societies are. And that is what we aspire to build in Dominica. Not pave another road, not nail down another roof, but create a Dominican product, a Dominican that is resilient, that is proud, that is innovative, that is creative, that is productive. If we can build such people in Dominica, then we have the right to see, yes, we have done it. We have built a resilient society. And, and so having said that, I imagine you, you, you would suggest that despite all the suffering that um, Hurricane Maria uh, caused in Dominica, there are many opportunities to, in the recovery of Dominica to, to, to make Dominica better because Maria caused the disruption that, 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 that was required as a first step. Uh, and, and so there should be a lot of opportunities to do things differently and better, right? Yes, absolutely. There is a saying in uh, leadership studies that when you, to get something truly done, to get change to truly happen, you must have a burning platform. The concept being, when you're out in the ocean drilling for oil and that rig catches on fire, you will jump into the ocean and do some, take a different approach. And so the burning platform, I think, for Dominica was Maria. It, it de de devastated a lot of existing infrastructure. And one of the most challenging things is to get people to, to, to move away from an existing infrastructure. There's always a vested interest in those. But Maria has done the work of really resetting the table. The question is, are we going to build back the same thing, the same mindsets, the same approaches to, to what we had before? Or are we going to have enough creative leadership on Ireland to take us to the new path, to take advantage of the opening that was, that was created? While traumatic, but certainly an opening that was created for us to rethink how we think about ourselves, and how we think about a while. And with that, I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, Bernard, I, I want to thank you. Um, my, my listeners, I'm sure you, you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. My guest tonight on this weekend interview was uh, Mr. Bernard Ito. 
uh, engineer who works with Texas Instrument, but very, very um, interested uh, in the study and, and, and the implementation of social and economic development. Uh, and with a strong view of, of implementing some of those ideas in Dominica and in the region. So, so let me give you an open invitation. When you, when you finish with that, um, PhD and you become Dr. Ito, I, I want you to come back and, and let's continue this conversation and let's keep that sort of thought process going. Get our people thinking about our, our traditional challenges in a new and innovative way. So I want to wish you all the best and tell you thank you so much for being my guest tonight. It was my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Well, well listeners, there you have it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am so privileged in, in this role as the host of this weekend interview because I, I get to have the most incredible conversations with people who are doing so much and who have accomplished so much. So thank you for listening. Uh, we do this again next week, Wednesday, on tdnradio.net. I, I would encourage you, programs like tonight, there's no way we can absorb all that information in one hour. So the, the podcast is usually available by the next day. We have it available um, on tdnradio.net or wherever you get your podcast from. Um, you can go there and just search for um, the This Week in Interview podcast. Uh, we, we constantly look into upgrade um, how we deliver it to you and um, we, we're spreading it throughout uh, most of the platforms um, but you can always go to tdnradio.net and, and find us there um, we've just actually started putting it up on a service called Anchor, Anchor like the Anchor of a Ship A-N-C-H-O-R if you search for that you should be able to find us um, there as well so let me say good night enjoy the weekend, I know it's the summer so it's a little bit hot, but it's also weather to get out and get about. So, so, so have a great one. Uh, stay safe, and I will see you next week, Wednesday, when I will have another awesome conversation with another awesome guest and share those conversations with you. So good night. Um, thank you to my engineer and producer, Sam, always keeping um, us, the, keeping the mics live, keeping the mics live and keeping me um, uh, to be able to share this with you. And good night to all my listeners. I really appreciate you staying with me for the hour. This has been This Week in Interview.